1: Hello and welcome to Hometown Glory, your Spurs and Culture podcast. I'm Charlie and I'm thrilled that our whole team is in for our eighth episode. We've got Ash back from Los Angeles, we've got Billy T, we've got Rosa and we've got Tom. Guys, hi. It's great to be reunited as a five-piece, especially as we talk with us all still in the afterglow of a Spurs Premier League win. That Brentford win, by the way, is our first clean sheet at home since being Watford 1-0 in August when we went top. And the first league game all season, we've won by two clear goals. So, progress. Right, as ever, I want one thing you liked and one thing that annoyed you all about the game. Let's start with the positives, as we're all in such a good mood. And Rosa, you're up first. I wonder if anyone can predict where Rosa's going to go with hers.
2: What could it possibly be? Yep, it's the goal. And I speak, of course, of the goal that Ben Davis was cruelly robbed of. I've been so thrilled with him since Conte's arrived. I think he's really made that left side of the central defence position his own. Um, I think he obviously... I, I've sort of been watching... Obviously, I've been watching him. Um, a little bit of a focus on him when I rewatched the highlights today. And he seems so intense and so pumped up. I feel like he... Is just kind of ready to seize this opportunity. It's been he's been at Spurs a long time. I think he's always done the best he could, but I really hope that we have yet to see the best of him. I think he was brilliant in defence as well, all game. And I just wish he'd been able to like have that goal to his tally. I also loved our second goal. I've got to say, I've watched that several times. Is there anything more satisfying than a goal when the keepers just like nowhere near it, and you can just and you can just watch uh, your player just kind of pretty much walk it into a mostly empty net. So satisfying.
1: Rosie, you've taken two moments they You've basically taken both the goals, which is uh, which is cheating massively. Um, Ash, what's what's your positive?
3: Well, there's two as well. Sorry, I'm taking one from someone else. Two. One was a pass that Kane made, um, which I can't find on any highlights, but it was an amazing pass and was like the best moment of the game, aside from scoring. And the other was just the fact that we pressed for the first time in what felt like ages and the crowd really responded to that and I I think that like sometimes people make too much of like the crowd supporting the team and the effect that that has but for me it's often the other way around in that when the players are up for it and like pressing like we respond and that really happened
1: last night and it, it felt like Spurs were back like even if it was very brief. It was lovely to see. It really was. Um, I wonder if anyone else is going to talk about that. Tom, what was yours?
4: I think mine was just Son in general, looking so happy. I thought he had a pretty good second half, especially. I thought he um, sort of got better as the game went on and it was just amazing to see him back on the score sheet. He'd made the first goal as well, didn't he, with uh, his corner finally scored from a from a corner and yeah he just looked over the moon when he scored that second it you know he needs it for his confidence he was in a pretty bad patch and yeah that was right in front of us in the south end I mean he still needs support clearly I, I'm not sure Kane's quite at it and uh, Lucas I think we probably all agree we can still upgrade on Lucas although he has he has his moments, but yeah, uh, I yeah, just loved, loved seeing Son and hopefully he can push on now because he was in a really bad period that often seems to come, seems to have a bad patch towards the end of the season rather than the start of the season. And obviously, as I've said on recent podcasts, I just keep flashing back to a year ago when Kane and Son were so free scoring. Let's hope that um, Kane goes on a run now. Uh, also, just... And aside from the football, I got three free pints of Guinness last night, um, Billy, after we raved about the goal line bar. Uh, we, got, we got down there to the kind of left hand side of the goal goal line bar and it was a shambles. None of the tills were working. Uh, the staff didn't seem to know what they were doing at all. We've had all had these experiences before, I think, but this was particularly bad. And after being there for about 10 minutes, a supervisor spotted how furious I was and said, what do you want? And I was like, three pints of Guinness. And he brought them over and just went, don't worry about paying. I mean, I don't think I could pay because all the tills <laughs> were broken and there was no neck oil again, as as per usual. Uh, but yeah, three, three pints of Guinness and Son looking happy. Those were my highlights.
1: I'm kind of glad, considering we got a few um, a few messages on Twitter that were quite annoyed listeners. Actually, that um, were a bit pissed off that we have sort of rumbled the the bar hack in the south stand goal line bar um, that Billy and Tom were talking about last time. So it sounds like you know no one's actually figured that out. That all you have to do is stand to the left, and you get apparently now free beer as well. So um, we'll see if see if that changes. Billy, you're positive, please.
5: Yeah, I'm going to go with uh, Oli Skip. Um, I thought last night was his best game for us in a Spurs shirt. I think he's had a really, really good season for us. Been one of our most consistent performers, and we did miss him when he was suspended the other day. Um, but I think last night was kind of like a new level to Oli Skip, in the fact that he was actually creating chances. And I think he created a really good chance to Kane with a really, really good pass when Kane nearly put Kane in, and Kane nearly scored. And then he kind of it was, he didn't create a chance as such, but he put Kane in again when Kane sort of squared it across the goal, and we almost scored that. I sit right front row in the south centre, right in front of me. And I was just, couldn't believe we weren't scoring, you know, either of those chances. But I think that was Ollie Skip's best game for us. He was, like, really tenacious in the tackles. Um, and I think if you could level one criticism at him so far, you know, which he's a very, very young player, so that might be perhaps unfair, is that maybe he isn't, his passing is not creating enough chances. But I think last night was signs that maybe that's what he's working on. And I think it was really encouraging to see Conte after the game saying, you know, um, he, you know, bigging him up, but also saying, I think I can still improve him quite a lot, especially with his, um, with his output on the ball. So I think it's going to be a really, really good mix. Skip and Conte. I think I think it's a really exciting future to see what Conte can do with him, um, because you know he's got everything that you would want. He's so hardworking and dedicated, and like, um, and sort of exactly all the attributes you would want Conte to be working with. So I think it's a really, really exciting future. But we finally saw that Oli Skip. Actually being creative last night. So so yeah, really, really good game from him. And I actually thought he was our best player last night.
1: Speaking of hardworking, dedicated professionals that seem to have become uh, Conte favourites fast. I'm gonna call out Eric Dyer, which I feel like is becoming a weekly thing. Um it's partly because I feel like uh people are often quite mean about Eric and I'm um, sort of seem to have decided that I'm gonna become his biggest fan. But I thought he was excellent again. There are a couple of straight passes, but I think he's taking chances with his passes and it's bearing fruit and I think he's, as we said last week, he's carrying the ball out nicely and it seems like Conte's sort of trusted him with almost like a, uh, a David Louise role at Chelsea where he's sort of playing this quarterback position and spraying the ball around and whilst he's probably not ever going to be uh be sprayed at left to right like like Toby used to in his pomp. I think it is a good outlet for us. And again, I just thought he was he was really switched on all game and that sort of concentration that perhaps we've not always seen from him seems to be there at the minute. So really really encouraging. Um, let's talk about less encouraging things. Um, Ash, what was your annoying thing about the game? Sergio Region holding his own offside line.
3: 15 yards ahead of other players for no reason. <laughs> um, I don't know what was going on with him, but he was just completely unaware of his surroundings, which drove me mad. And then I was cussing him out and then he set up the winner. So he just mugged me
1: right off. But yeah, that really annoyed me. Um, he had a good game all around though. I mean, I, I must admit I didn't necessarily, yeah. from up in my sort of seat in the gods, notice that especially, but that was his best performance, I think, for ages, right? Or yeah, I
3: think or so. No, no, I think he was, I think he was really good. And I think for ages he came in when he first came, I thought he was great and I was really excited. And then he just, like everyone else, was just a sham was for six months and I was really worried.
4: On that second goal, I meant to shout out his run was excellent. Um, and then, you know, I was kind of expecting him to shoot because he, he was in, you know, he was in a pretty good position, but he put that ball across for some, some to put it in like, so so brilliantly i thought and yeah generally i thought that was one of Regulon's best best games in in quite a while
5: yeah and i thought there was this moment and i think it was in the first half where conte full-on whacked him like, I, I couldn't tell whether it was like a whack of like approval or a whack of disapproval uh, but It but almost like literally knocked him over it's so good to see but honestly i have no idea whether it was an approval whack or a disapproval whack but either way it was a decent whack
1: I also just want to I mean I feel like we've hijacked the negatives by talking about positives again we're in such a good mood from having one but I just think that second goal was the most like pure moment of sort of Conte football that we've seen so far and it was so satisfying to see something that you imagine was a proper training ground move come off so cleanly really really lovely to see
5: I think the, the pass that Ash mentioned earlier when Kane put it to Emerson, you could tell that that was, again, those sort of um, movements that have come straight from the training grounds. I think I think it was kind of fizzed into Kane and then one touch to Emerson and then Son was right in the middle. And I think I have to be careful with Emerson because if he can't sort of get the ability to put that ball into Son, then I think he's going to be upgraded quite quickly because Conte is so reliant on fullbacks. Um, and I think, Emerson is finding his feet and he is generally good. But one thing we haven't really seen much recently is this sort of attacking output, which we're seeing from Reggie on. So I think we're in a bit of danger, maybe. Whereas that was obviously straight from the training ground, but Emerson didn't quite have the ability to put that ball to Son and someone would have been through on goal. Um, so, yeah, you can see those sort of plays that are coming in from Conte and, and it's uh, really encouraging.
1: My um, my negative actually sort of linked to Royale. I agree. I think is um sort of attacking performance was was lacking last night quite significantly. I I feel like where Reggion benefited massively though was in the service he was receiving from Ben Davies, who I thought was excellent in pushing the ball out the field quickly. Whereas poor old Royale had to deal with passes from Davinson all night, which were often you know sluggish. They were a bit behind him. It meant he could never get the ball out of his feet quick enough because Sanchez is passing is so basic and largely terrible and I think if we are and I think we obviously will be persisting playing wing-backs and three at the back sort of long-term under Conte, having those two left and right-sided centre-backs being not just competent on the ball but excellent on the ball in order to start those moves feels absolutely essential and therefore I cannot see Sanchez as a sort of viable long-term option there and why it is so devastatingly annoying that Romero is not able to slot into that position on the right hand side, because you feel like it'd be absolutely perfect
2: yeah, the Emerson and Sanchez situation is definitely a problem at the moment i I have been sort of saying that I think we do we do need another right back because i i've, I've been've i sort of I feel like i've sort of been trying to defend Emerson recently to friends who've said to me. You know, he's not, he's not fast, so he can't really attack that well. He can't really fulfil that role in Conte's formation. But also, he's not that great defensively either. So what does he offer? I think he's actually all right defensively. I think he's had to do quite a lot of Sanchez's work for him. There was a moment last night where Emerson got fouled, went down. The ball goes into our area. Emerson has time to, like, get up, run all the way back, block a shot. While Sanchez is still, I don't know, sort of spinning around somehow. (laughs) You know, I also, I I want to believe that Conte can do something with Sanchez, actually. I still vaguely persist with this memory of him when he first arrived that first season. I don't know if it's just that was, you know, a sort of Kevin Vimmer style blip and it'll never come back. But I believe that there is a player in there and I just, we've got to do something, haven't we? It's either another right-sided centre-back or a right wing back like some we can't have both of those it's it's too much work for emerson like we're too vulnerable down that side basically you could see it as well because the goal the second goal that move almost came off perfectly like a few minutes before, I think, before the end of the first half. So, you, But you could see that it was working much better down that side. So we, we, we are just, especially if we don't have the creativity in the middle. And I agree that Skip's been excellent, was excellent last night. But we don't, we still don't have that creativity in the middle. So we do mm. have to figure out what's going to happen on the right side.
1: Definitely. And I think Brentford were, they were quite clearly targeting Sanchez, I thought particularly early doors they were trying to sort of have tony pin him in that corner and doing those diagonals and i don't know to have a sort of what was he 47 million pound center back being targeted by brentford at home is terrifying um billy
5: yeah on that note i just want to put into the universe the, get Tarek lamberty to spurs straight into the universe because he'll be my dream sign in i think he'd be unbelievable for us and just imagine what conte would do with him is unbelievable so just want to put that into the universe with the hope that we might sign him in January. I know that probably will never happen, but that's who I would absolutely love us to sign. I just can't imagine a better wing-back for us who we could realistically obtain, um, you know, with his whole career ahead of him, who Conte would work with. That would be unbelievable.
1: Um, Billy, staying with you, what was your what was your negative from the night?
5: Yeah, it's kind of like a retroactive one, actually, because last night um, was the first game in a while that I've enjoyed for like 90 minutes. It's like our first display of like competence for a, a very very long time so my annoyance is like like the waste that the last two years has been like you see what coaching does to these players in a very short space of time you have already seen improvements um and as you mentioned before like people like eric dyer like they've just stalled. they had their career stalled for like two years for like for nothing um and it's because we've made terrible football decisions um but nuno was is it ended up being a monumental waste of time. I know it wouldn't have aligned this way anyway, but if you imagine if we'd have got content at the beginning of the season, like what a bad position we'd be in now. It's just how much improvement we've made already in such a short space of time is made it clear to me what a waste the last couple of years has been. And we've just been so badly needing a coach, which and now we're sort of seeing the fruits of that. So I thought last night was such a positive result and performance that it actually made me realise that the, the last, you know, season, two seasons, even, you know, stretching about two, three seasons has been such a waste of everyone's time and it's just been such a disappointment. Um, but now I think we're on the right path, which is really, really exciting.
1: Um, you pulled it back there, Billy. I was needing a drink halfway through that. That was, that was pretty bleak. Uh, <laughs> Tom, what was, uh, what was your negative from the game?
4: Just on Emerson, going back to Emerson, there was a moment in the second half where he stayed down for what felt like five minutes. He took a, such a sort of soft arm to the face. It, it was nothing. The ref was never going to give it. And in a very Brazilian way, he stayed on the floor, acted like he was now blind or something, um, while Brentford made a break and was suddenly right up near our goal. So I, I found him... Quite frustrating, and I am worrying that he's not that great. But um, hopefully, Conte can work some magic with him. I think my point generally is uh, about the formation and the choice of players. I really like the idea of three centre backs and the wing backs. When you know Spurs at White Hart Lane was so exciting with Rose and Walker bombing forward, so I like the idea of those the full backs offering us um, attacking dynamism. Um, but three centre backs and two defensive midfielders is quite negative versus Brentford. And it last night I really thought it left a gap between Skip and Hoybier, and then the uh, Son Kane and um, Mora, the, the, the attackers. There really was someone missing in the middle there. And I think Skip was really good. Billy, there was like one point in the first half where he put through there was a great through ball that he played like right into, into their box. Um, so I think that's coming from skip hopefully, but um, really they are two defensive midfielders and you know, what is the answer? Tangy or Lacelso suddenly becoming good. I don't know, but there was definitely still something missing uh, in that formation.
2: Yeah, Yeah. you're right. Um, But that is how Kante started at Chelsea. I was sort of going back a little bit um, and he did, he had Kante and um, Matic in the middle. So, and then eventually I think Fabregas sort of replaced Matic. So, I mean, obviously they had like Hazard and um, Costa up top as well, but I don't know if I don't know if it, I don't know if there is a road back for Ndombélé, but I think I can't believe I'm actually saying this, but I feel like it is a bit too early to write him off. I was talking to Ollie about this earlier, and he was like, "That's it for Ndombélé; like he's he's done." But I don't know if he is, and I think we do. It's obvious. I don't think I think as good as Skip can be, and that was the pass to Kane, right? That then he um that that was one my other frustration of the night. I can't believe Kane missed that chance. Like I, I am starting to worry about him now because he doesn't miss those chances. But we do need someone else and maybe it could be Ndombele.
5: Yeah, and that's ex- exactly what I was going to say as well. Um, I think the early signs are quite worrying for Ndombele because he didn't come on again last night and you're struggling to see where he's going to get a look in. But um, if you think back to his Inter and Chelsea days, then Fabregas and Eriksen both had similar trajectories. They weren't played at all at the beginning. Um, and you know it might just be taking him a while to get to grips with Conte, and once Conte is happy that he's ready, he'll put them in, like he did with Ericsson, like he did with Fabregas, and they ended up being both huge players for Conte's successful title winning side. So I think the early sides are a little bit worrying, but it's not over yet for him. I do think there's plenty of time for him to turn Conte back around.
3: Yeah, I mean, just going back to Kane for a moment, because he is really beginning to worry me, and I think maybe it's that he's at the stage now with all these ankle injuries that he's just going to be a ten. Because he doesn't even look like scoring at the moment. And perhaps we need to just go and invest in the striker. And he just needs to be a creative player, like moving forward. Because the chance last night was just so simple. And he used to just bury those. And it's just, I don't know, that was like something that would happen to like Soldado or Janssen or one of these like jokers.
2: Oh my God, we've done it. We finally broken Harry Kane. (laughs) I can't believe it.
1: It it does now feel like Norwich is a real like D Day for him, doesn't it? It's like if he's if he's not gonna be able to score at home against Brentford and then Norwich, there's something seriously seriously up with them. Any other points from Brentford before we look ahead to Norwich that anyone wants to shout out? I mean, I feel like we've we've spoken about Ben Davies being excellent, Dyer being excellent, Regulon being excellent, um you know, that midfield, I feel like there's probably someone to come in. I don't think this is the sort of final form for Spurs under Conte in terms of formation. Billy, any any other thoughts?
5: Yeah, I just, uh, Tom did mention it earlier, I just wonder about Lucas Mora because I think, you know, it kind of happens when a new manager comes in he gets in the team quite a lot at the beginning because he's obviously worked really, really hard in training. He's a great character to be around um, and he will always give the same kind of performance. But you just wonder if, Going forward, if we want to compete at a very top level, whether we can upgrade Lucas Moura because he's got all the effort and everything, and we all love him, he's a great, great servant for us. But so many of the attacks sort of end from him bouncing the first touch, or it's just like fizzed into him. He just doesn't have that touch. And I think a lot of Conte's play relies on fizzing it into the front three, making runs off them, finding the wing backs, and then crossing into the wing and um, from the wing backs. And I don't know if moving forward, Lucas mora is cut out for that. Um I think he's got. You know, so many good qualities about him, but I just don't know moving forward if he is one who's going to keep that position.
2: I've got one more thing um, to add, is, which is that well, like we've got to get Hugo Lloris on a contract extension. That's like so, so obvious, surely. Just get it done, Spurs, please, for the love of God. Just do this one thing.
1: It'd be a lovely little Christmas shot in the arm, I think, for everyone as well, right? It just feels like something that would instantly lift the mood, having Hugo signed up for another season or two. Right, Brentford covered. Norwich um so Norwich have won one away game this season uh which was Daniel Fark's last match at Brentford funnily enough um since then Dean Smith's arrival they're actually unbeaten they beat Southampton in his first game and they drew a home to Wolves and away at 10-man Newcastle on Tuesday night um some players called Rashika and Norman are both out for them I've yeah, nothing for me either. Um Todd Cantwell, who I always remember having like really annoyingly good games against us against us in those sort of what felt like hundreds of matches we played against them pre-COVID. Um he's back. I guess it's a little bit annoying they've had an extra couple of days rest than us because they played on Tuesday. But then we did have the good fortune of the Burnley cancellation in terms of our rest. So as we're at home again, we should be fine, right? I mean I worry the last time I said that was ahead of a trip to Slovenia. But is anyone stressed about Norwich at home, Rosa?
2: I'm not super stressed. Um, I'm a little concerned that their form seems to be improving. I was looking at it and it was just loss, 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 loss. And then all of a sudden they've won a couple of games and drawn a couple of games. But, you know, we're we're at home. Um, My one question, really, because I wasn't there last night, is about the crowd and whether it sort of started out as a sort of quiet and kind of slightly sluggish as it as it did against Leeds or whether it was more kind of up from the beginning because I think we 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 need that really I don't want to see I think it does get to the players really if we're sort of a bit if it's all a bit gloomy to begin with I think if everyone kind of starts off in like fine voice then we'll be okay but I don't want it to feel like a potential banana skin, do you know what I mean
1: i am um, I felt like it was reasonably uh muted throughout i do done it weirdly, I think two things one, I think the really annoying seven thirty start time didn't help because I feel like a lot of people were rushing to get there, and suddenly you know you've got tens of thousands of people sort of sprinting up the steps to to arrive just in time for the match and then suddenly there's a football match on, so there wasn't really that opportunity to build an atmosphere and then I think weirdly enough our scoring quite early just sort of settled us down in a sense that it didn't mean that we had to sort of rev the players up so much because they were just getting on with it more than they have done in a while that might be a sort of I don't know too upbeat way of looking at what was a reasonably quiet crowd but anyone else thoughts on um on how the crowd was
4: I thought the the crowd were okay it was reasonably muted first half. I thought the crowd got sort of livelier as the, as the game went on. Um, and I do think you're right. The 7.30 kickoff was annoying. Uh, there were a lot of people I certainly was rushing after um, picking up the kids. Also, this is a weird point, OK? But when all the crowd are in gloves... It kind of <laughs> makes the sound of the crowd a bit more muted, right? So when we do uh, the Owen, uh, the Spurs, when you get to the clapping bit, you can't hear the crowd because everyone was in gloves and it was genuinely freezing last night. So, But I did think the football got better as the game went on yesterday, I thought. We grew in confidence And we haven't played very good football recently, so I kind of can't blame the crowd for being somewhat muted. We've got to give the crowd something to get excited about. And Norwich is surely a chance to score a few goals because our goal difference is still stupid. And we're still, you know, it was still only two last night, obviously. So we've got to put a few away and give the crowd something to get excited about. And my only other thing to echo Ash is... Surely Kane can score against Norwich at home. And again, last night, I just kept turning to my friends and saying, one goal this season and it's almost Christmas. So come on, Kane, please.
1: Ash, it was your first game at the stadium for a while because you've been away. How did you find it? I thought the atmosphere was pretty good. I I honestly thought it was all right. The, The
3: other thing I was going to mention was, and this is aside from the fans, was that the stadium looked amazing. Like, I, I was really sort of, um, I walked in and maybe it's the fact that I'd been away. I'm not sure, but just like walking in and like sitting it lit up and like really busy on like a night game. I was just like really proud of the stadium. It just looked absolutely incredible last night.
1: Yeah, all of the um, the kind of rainbow lighting um, was yeah. was fantastic. It was really, really great to see. And yeah, I sort of hope that we do that, not just for sort of week celebrations around the sort of Rainbow Laces stuff. It'd be nice if, yeah, we could support um, those sort of campaigns sort of throughout the year, not needing just a, a sort of special week to do it in.
3: Yeah, agreed. I mean, the other weird thing was this kind of strange dubstep music that was happening before the game. There was like a 15 minute build up of like the, like the nine videos that Spurs show and then like some weird dubstep and like not the sort of like Marla and like Koki Digital Mystics at mass dubstep but like some horrible American like dubstep that needs to stop.
1: I'm writing a complaint if it happens again. Um Spurs, if you need Ash to sort out any kind of PA um set listing before the game, you know where to contact us. Um Billy, how are you feeling about Norwich?
5: Yeah, not too bad. I just um I, I really hope Kane scores a couple of goals. Uh, it's really got to that point now where like, as he just said, if, if he doesn't score on Sunday, we're in serious worry territory, I think, and especially made much worse by the fact we don't have any strikers who can play him ahead of him. It's just so kind of getting a bit awkward. If he doesn't score on Sunday, you know, it's, it's sort of real worry territory. Um, I just have kind of painful memories of Norwich at home because I remember like early days in the AVB era when we drew them one-one. I think Dan Belle's debut, he came on and scored. That was an absolutely horrific game. I can't really remember anything else against Norwich other than that like, the Eric Dyer incident last year so I don't have like a particularly decent history of going to watch us play Norwich at home um, but I mean we have to we have to score some serious goals against them you'd hope
1: Yeah it feels like the team needs that doesn't it, don't they just in terms of it's all still very cautious I feel like they're all second guessing their first touch for this team to really step it up it feels like they need to start playing instinctively again they need that confidence to try things and know that they might actually come off rather than Shit, if I lose the ball, then the team's gonna go down the other end and uh, we're gonna concede. Would anyone make any changes to the starting lineup? Um, we've obviously spoken about this ultra defensive midfield. Is this perhaps a game for Tongi, Ash? You've been on the sort of Tongi train harder than anyone else. Do you see him starting the team? I, ha- I have,
3: but and I and I'm also not a fan of the sort of like double defensive midfield, but I just think like we should get a few more wins under our belt first and then make the changes because like, it's just one or two games. So, yeah, I think stick to the same thing and then, like, slowly integrate the others. Um, yeah. Billy, any changes for you?
5: I wouldn't make any changes now because I think that, you know, last night was our best performance for a while, but just have to sort of really worry about Rodon now. Um, didn't even make the squad last night. And I think if, you know, if you've seen on Twitter, that it caused concerns between some of his family members um, and a bit of confusion, I think, because he did travel with the squad, he was fully fit and he didn't even make the bench. Um, and that's now four managers who have had the same outcome with Roden so you do wonder what's going to happen there. Um, it looks as though he's probably just going to be sold in January because this just doesn't seem to be happening under any manager so my question would be if Roden would come into the squad maybe but it's not looking good for him.
1: Yeah it's also today that suggested he might be loaned but I don't know I mean and I think Conte was talking about he sees him as very much Dyer's backup so unless Dyer's out injured He's just not going to get a look at it, I don't think. Um, Tom, anyone you would bring in at all? Obviously, one thing I was thinking is the wing-backs get put under an awful lot of pressure in terms of the running that they need to do with two games in close succession. Could we see another wing-back come
4: into the team, perhaps, Tom? I just don't trust the others. Uh, like I don't want Doherty to come in. Um, Cessignon, we saw what happened with Cessignon in the... uh, Europa Conference. So, actually, and I'm going to contradict myself here because I was just moaning about there being three centre backs and two defensive midfielders. But I think probably after that win consistency, it will be good. Like keeping the same team and just building some sort of run run of wins together. I mean, maybe Tanganga could come in for Sanchez, but they're both not have not been great recently, so it doesn't really matter.
2: Yeah, I think that's it really. And I, you know, just to echo everyone else, but. Also importantly, we've got Liverpool quite soon, and like I'm genuinely terrified. I think we have to get we have to like steady the ship properly right now, and if that means the same eleven play mostly up until then just just to get them comfortable to get them confident because Liverpool are a genuinely frightening prospect, and I think our best chance of avoiding that is if it's just. Just these guys, practice as much as you can so that you're all so well drilled. That's it. And just try to get out of that game alive.
5: And also you've got to worry about Thursday as well because we have Ren on Thursday, which is now a much bigger game than it ever needed to be if we weren't so stupid in our away games in the conference league, which we still have not won a single one of them yet. You kind of got to imagine that he's going to have that in mind somewhat. Like, I don't really know... If he's going to go full strength against Rennes, um, they're already top. Whatever happens, so hopefully they will not go full strength. And they're they're second. I think they're second in the French league at the moment. So they're probably going. They're, I imagine they'll put a second string out against us. But that's got to be in the mind somewhere. Now that we have to win that game, which is an absolutely ridiculous situation to find ourselves in, but. It's going to be three games in a week for us, three home games. Um, I'd be interested to see what team, maybe that might come into play tomorrow, um, on Sunday, sorry. Maybe that'll come into play, who knows. But um, yeah, so annoying that that game is now much more important than it ever deserved to be or needed to be.
1: It's, um, it's pretty miserable that going into the last group stage game, it's Ren who are able to put out a shadow team because they're already the winners of that of that group. Quick predictions for Norwich, just a score from each of you. Um, Tom, score prediction?
4: 3-0, Kane to score. Rosa? 2-0, Kane to
1: score. 2-0, Kane not to score.
5: I'm going to go 4-0, Ben Davis to score.
1: I'm going to go 3-1, goal scorers, Skip, uh, Royale and Son. And I don't know any Norwich players apart from... uh, Timu Pukki and he's definitely going to score I know a few Norwich players there's Aaron's I'm kind of keen to see if he's actually any good after we've been linked with him for like about five years right moving on we just want to um, blow our own trumpets a bit actually and shout out a few of our recent special episodes um, there are exclusive interviews available now with Gary Mabbott, Michael Dawson and Jenna Scalacci uh, we've got a few more in the pipeline before and just after Christmas with some experts, players and some of our favourites from the world of culture. Um, Rosa, I just want to say how much I personally enjoyed your Jenna chat. Um, what an icon. Her and you, of course, icon states, status. Um, she was brilliant.
2: She was amazing. <laughs> I absolutely love chatting to her so, so, so much. Um, her origin story is brilliant. She you know, really started from absolutely nothing and then to getting her first professional contract right before she retired. She's got some stories to tell. And also, if you, like us, are not super well informed on the current women's team, she picks out some key players and a couple of stars for the future as well. So it's really, really useful if you're looking to get into watching the women's team and you sort of don't know where to start. But she was just a brilliant, brilliant guest. So interesting, funny, thoughtful, such a massive, massive Spurs fan as well. And her, in particular, her story about her brother at the Champions League semi-final is a must listen. So without just kind of blowing my own trumpet too much, um, give it a whirl. She's great.
1: Could not agree more. And Rosie, you are a terrific host. So we're, as, as we always say, we're super excited to be fully engaged with Spurs women. Lots more interviews on the women's side coming up. Um, yeah, we're really, really excited to support everything they're doing. Let's move on to culture picks. Ash, you can lead the way. What's your culture pick for this week, please? I've got about nine, so don't kill me. But um,
3: <laughs> the I've got the Sam Fender album because I was just like making a playlist of like my songs of the year, and I started listening to the, the single called Seventeen Going Under, and it's an amazing song. And there's a video. There's also a video to the single Spit of You do with Stephen Graham which is amazing like anything with Stephen Graham's in so that album my Jill Sander unique coat because it kept me really warm last night because it was about minus 10 degrees inside the stadium it was
1: horrible it's and really then, stylish I, I saw Ash after the game and as as normal Ash might have been the most uh, stylish person in person in when Dutch then um in Tottenham Hotspur Stadium carry on Um,
3: Well, that's very kind of coming from you in your retro Spurs coat. So thank you. Um, And also just like the Virgil, who sadly passed away um, last week, the Virgil Louis Vuitton um, show, which is on YouTube, which I really
1: recommend watching. It's very emotional, especially the ending. Good picks all around there. Thanks, Ash. Um, Billy, what's yours?
5: Yeah, I'm going to have to take up my role as Marvel Correspondent, or Virgins, as we are also known throughout the country. Um, I've had a very Marvel week this week because um, I saw Eternals for the first time, which I really, really liked. But I'm not going to go too much into. Um, I also booked tickets to see Spider-Man uh, No Way Home for the first day that it comes out on the 15th, which I'm really hyped about. Then Son scored literally right in front of me and did a Spider-Man celebration, which I loved. Um, but my culture pick is actually going to be Hawkeye, which is um, new on Disney+, Plus, new series on Disney+. And I really really like it. I've never really been into Hawkeye. He's kind of like a bit of a sideman for the Avengers. Like, he's a bit of like a, the garlic bread of Avengers. He's sort of never really appealed to me. And I think like his big storyline in Avengers Endgame was he had a haircut. Um, that was his big deal. So never really been that appealing. But <clears throat> I watched the series without kind of low expectations, and I really, really enjoyed it. I think the tone is amazing. I think of the first three Marvel Disney shows, uh, the stakes have been really, really high. Like division, she basically captured and held hostage a whole town because of the trauma of losing her partner. Um, Captain America was like the whole thing about taking up like, the mantle of Captain America of like a ba- background of like racial politics as well. And Loki was like blowing open the whole um, multiverse and stuff like that. The stakes are really high. And this one, it's just Hawkeye trying to get home for Christmas, which I love, like just that sort of shift in like, tone and like stakes being really low and just being really fun um and I think Kate Bishop is amazing as well I think you know I think it's going to be a lot of fun for the rest of the series I know Rosie you've seen it too as well I think
2: yeah I'm absolutely loving it as well and I really like the comics that it's based on there's a um it's a Matt Fraction run of Hawkeye comics that I'm not a big comics person but I I did read those a few years ago because somebody who was super into comics recommended them to me and I really really love them so it's really fun that they've gone with that particular run to sort of base the series off and I feel like Jeremy Renner's really getting a chance to kind of properly shine like you. I didn't super love him in the movies, but actually he's really good as this sort of low-key kind of grumpy dad type hero.
5: And also it's just worth shouting out, and I know Rose will be a big fan of this, um, Steve Rogers the musical is just such a highlight. <laughs> that was like one of the best things Marvel have ever done. So yeah, shout out Hawkeye on Disney+.
2: Yeah, they need to do that whole musical like properly. Like we're ready to see it. Give it to us, Disney, please.
1: Um, I'd like to pretend I understood a lot of that, but I really didn't. but um, I know lots and lots of people will be enthralled by uh, by that conversation. Rosa, staying with you. Um, what's yours this week, please?
2: Yeah, I'll just add a quick thing onto our oh, um, say, Marvel talk. I'm so sorry, but this is such a good one, which I hope everyone realised that Tom Holland and Zendaya made their official red carpet debut as a couple this week. And it was at the Ballon d'Or ceremony. So that is obviously phase one of Tom getting her to like into football. And I'm telling you, we're going to see her at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Any day now, any day.
1: Wasn't there, was there a clip going around as well of um, Tom Holland with, uh, Mbappe and I saw and I don't know if it was just people sort of making fun of Spurs the interaction probably. seemed to be yeah probably um <laughs> seemed to be Mbappe saying impossible impossible and people saying that Tom Holland had asked him about signing for Spurs but either way it does seem like Tom Holland is now very much leaning in to his uh coisdom and I noticed his brother is- wants it. exactly and I noticed his brother. Um, uh tweeted about son and his spider-man celebration so um just basically an, an open invitation to uh all hollands if you fancy coming on uh to talk about i mean I'll, I'll you know i feel like after i've just said what i said i should probably sit it out but billy that will be one for me and billy Fraser. for sure yeah yeah, yeah. um
2: my Rosa, other, yeah, <laughs> my other culture pick this week is um, a show I've just become completely obsessed with. It with I just finished it today is the Club on Netflix. It is a Turkish drama set in 1950s Istanbul, and the um, it just it looks amazing. I don't know if it's filmed in Istanbul or somewhere pretending to be Istanbul, but it looks. Like absolutely glorious, and it's very cool because um, the lead character is a Sephardic Jewish woman, so you get to hear some Ladino, which is the Sephardic Jewish language, which is a kind of cool thing that you just don't get a lot of in much popular culture. But it's also just absolutely gripping, and the lead actress is quite a famous Turkish actress. Apparently, I won't try and pronounce her name because I'll butcher it, but um, she's just got the most like amazing face I think I might be in love with her and I've also found out that she is about to take the Nicola Walker role in the Turkish remake of The Split so it just feels like I'm like Netflix I need you to give that to me as well but that I absolutely recommend it it's only six episodes so it's a short one and it does sort of do that annoying Netflix thing of ending on a slight cliffhanger but it's not as annoying as that normally is because it's a shorter run of episodes and the next lot are dropping in January so That's my pick. It's incredible.
1: Um, You've very much uh, got me back there, Rosa, with mention of Nicola Walker and The Split, two of my favourite things. Um, Our Queen, our Queen. Our our Queen Nicola. um, And our King Stephen Mangan, of course, talking about The Split, who is another very high on our dream guest list. So uh, Stephen, we're we're coming for you. Um, Tom, I think you and I are going to share a culture pick this week. Do you you want to kickstart our chat about our, our selection?
4: Yeah, I think we've both... uh, The only other thing that was in consideration for my culture pick was that I saw the new George Condo exhibition, um, which is weirdly on Savile Row, uh, where the Beatles did their last gig on the top of um, their Apple headquarters. Uh, And yeah, that George, George Condo exhibition is really good. There's not tons of paintings, but they're all from this year. And he really is reflecting our fragmented, uh, fucked up minds right now. Um, So that was quite good. It's not very big and it's free to go to. It's at the Hauser and Worth, um, their London uh, site. But yeah, The Beatles was what I actually want to talk about, Get Back. That is, it's all on Disney Plus. It is eight hours long. Does it need to be eight hours long? Uh, Probably not. Like someone probably could have said to Peter Jackson, like, let's get it to five or six, Peter. Um, but what is quite funny is that essentially you feel like you're making the album with them. And I'm about halfway through at the moment and I have to turn to my wife and say, we need to get back to the TV, get back to the TV, um because we've got an album to make it genuinely feels oh shit we've got another five hours of making the Beatles Let It Be album to get through which isn't to say it's like boring it's there's loads of tiny details that are really interesting whether you're a Beatles fan or not and yeah you really connect with all four of them it looks amazing the footage has been restored like so beautifully Peter Jackson had a load of um, affects people restore it frame by frame i i, I believe and uh, yeah the bit i was just watching earlier in the second episode uh i was just reminded how young they were so they're making their final album and i think john and paul are still 28 uh george is 25 and by that point they've changed music forever even before they released let it be and uh abbey road which came after so that sort of blows blows your mind how um how young they are and i'm sure charlie wants to talk about the excellent fashions as well
1: i do yeah um i just yeah it's all pretty dreamy uh fit wise um it's it also reinforced to me uh, aside from sort of my lusting after everything that paul mccartney wears that um I'm most definitely a Paul, uh, so I'd like to take the opportunity now to apologise to my hometown Gori colleagues for being a slightly annoying control freak without the moments of genius. Uh, so that's that's my public apology there. I, yeah, I, I love it. I'm a huge Beatles fan. Um, I feel like my fandom has probably been a bit dormant for a while, actually. Perhaps just, you know, there's always so much Beatles stuff, but there's not really been anything particularly interesting in the last couple of years. But this has relit that fandom spectacularly. A friend of a friend of ours, actually, Tom, uh, Jonathan Dean, who writes for the Sunday Times, spoke a bit about uh, how he, he he compared it to sort of watching a Big Brother live feed. And I sort of, I get that in that it's sort of oddly compelling as a viewing experience. And there are times we are not quite sure why you are watching these people just sort of noodle around and talk in circles and not really discuss anything seemingly with any real sort of merit. But essentially, you can't take your eyes off it. Um and yeah, just watching, you know, watching sort of Maka, Kanja, like the song Get Back from the ether, seemingly, or just noodling away on sort of the long and winding road while no one pays him a blind bit of attention in the corner. It's just extraordinary TV. So I, yeah, if you want to sort of watch Genius at work, I think it's it's one of the most sort of mad extraordinary pieces of film i've I've seen in forever i loved it yeah
4: and poor george he demos all things must pass for them and they just don't even notice they don't even care so no wonder (laughs) he's frustrated like and they didn't have shit tons of great songs by that point really like Maka came in with the long and winding road and you see him sort of demoing the long and winding road for the rest rest of the band which is like Properly magical. But it's also clear that like Brian Epstein has died by that point. They're fairly directionless. It's clear they um, yeah, they really need direction as the director. Is it Michael Lindsay Hogg uh, pitches a concert in st- rather than play the roof of the Apple building? He wants them to play in Libya to as he keeps repeating 2000 Arabs. He just keeps walking over to Paul and the whole band and saying 2000 Arabs in Libya. And yeah, it's ridiculous. But yeah, they they were fairly directionless. But oh, my God, Paul is just like pulling everything together and being amazing.
1: Just um, yeah. And also just it's, you know, I've, I've seen Paul and Ringo speak about how they are really excited about it, the film because it does show the sort of brotherhood between them obviously you know George Harrison leaves the band halfway through but aside from that you know particularly i think between John and Paul you see that connection and that warmth and that friendship and that sort of bond that you know has been built over all those experiences and it's it is really heartwarming to see it's amazing. it kind of rewrites history a little bit because obviously that album has been spoken about as the thing that broke the beatles and yeah, actually, you can still see this, this sort of wonderful connection that the band have.
4: The rapport they have is amazing, and the only slightly heartbreaking thing is that you know, or I think most people, it's well known that after they finish the album, John Lennon then takes it to Phil Spector, and Bre- Mac is furious because he Lennon does it behind Mac's back. But it's amazing, yeah, that brotherhood. You can tell they've been friends for. A decade by that point.
1: It's particularly annoying because like you say, Tom, Macca has sort of single-handedly driven that whole project. And Lennon at m- most points could not look less fussed about whether or not that album gets made. And then he goes and takes it to of all people, Phil Spector, to uh to basically then you know finish the it was off. So um that's a bit annoying. But anyway, it's it's amazing. And if you've got a spare eight hours this Christmas, <laughs> I thoroughly recommend uh getting through it all thanks everyone that was really enjoyable it was lovely to have the five of us back um back together no sort of beatles style fallout for us um unless you know we want to add a bit of drama to the next episode and we can we can try and engineer some some tension somewhere unless we don't do that it's been a pleasure um thanks ever so much for your time Um, i hope everyone enjoys the norwich game and we will talk again next week Thank you all for listening to Hometown Glory, Episode 8. Billy, see us home, please.
5: What was first.